Last Sunday, Donovan introduced us to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is one of my favorite books. I think it's often uh, one of the most overlooked books in the New Testament, and it's uh, terrific. It's written to a congregation that is exhausted, on the brink of giving up, packing it in, striking the tent, going back to the synagogue. Although it's grouped with the epistles, it really isn't a letter at all. It's a sermon, a a sermon that Tom Long, my old preaching professor, describes as being rabbinical in design, Christian in content, and heroic in length. What a great line. Last week, Donovan preached on the first part of chapter 11 that begins that great roll call of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Throughout the first part of the chapter, the preacher uses examples from the Old Testament history of those who were exemplars of faith, often those tested by suffering. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, Joseph and Moses. The point being made is that through faith, God's holy testing brings about strength. But turning to our passage, the tone shifts and the cast of character expands to the whole cloud of witnesses. One commentator helpfully notes, in terms of African-American preachers saying the preacher of Hebrews has started low with a definition of faith, then he proceeded to go slow by recounting in some detail stories of Abel and Enoch Noah and the patriarchs and Moses. Now it's time to quicken the pace, to reach higher. And a reading, even in the English translation of the text section, will disclose that the preacher is doing just that. Instead of stories, we now get phrases. Instead of more languid narration, we get sharp staccato beat of crisp declarations. The preacher begins to preach his sermon with a rhythm line, almost like poetry. The preacher knows he's catching fire, bringing the congregation in the dialogue, moving them up, lifting them higher. Even in the written version, there are unmistakable signs of the preacher's call, followed by an implied response of the congregation. The sermon comes to a crescendo, and then the preacher looks out and invites an invitation. See if you can hear it as we read from Hebrews chapter 11 beginning at verse 29. Hear the word of God. By faith, people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administrate justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raising fires, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. 
Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went out about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were committed for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God provided something better, so they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Surrounded. Have you ever been surrounded? Was the experience pleasant or perilous? Well, it all depends, doesn't it? If you're singing in the choir and are surrounded by that wonderful sound of the other voices blending, joining, harmonizing, well, then it's glorious. But if you're surrounded by all of those voices and your voice stands out, is a little louder than the rest, if you find yourself maybe a little off pitch, modulating into a different key without meaning to, as I so often do, well, then not so much. Surrounded. Several friends and family have posted pictures of being in the national parks this summer and shown photographs surrounded by the majestic mountains of Grand Tetons or Glacier Yosemite. Others out hiking have posed in fields surrounded by wildflowers that have been beautiful. Once, years ago, I was staying at Eugene Peterson's home on Flathead Lake in Montana, and I drove out to the National Bison Reserve. How many of you knew we had one of those in the country? It's fabulous. And I sat in a car surrounded by 300 buffalo having my lunch. It was a great lunch. I chewed slowly and carefully as the shaggy creatures just ambled by. It was majestic. On that occasion, I liked being surrounded. But the time I was in Haiti on the night of Mardi Gras was a different story completely. I was there with members of a rotary club and we were doing some mission work and we found out that there was a fellow from Denver, a fellow Rotarian, who was working at the Presbyterian Hospital in Leogrand. Well, two of us rode back into town to pick him up, but we got stalled in the main street because that was the beginning of Carnival, and we did not know that there were all these bands. And at one point, our car was completely surrounded by a band of fellows drumming dressed as skeletons, and I thought my life was going to end in some kind of voodoo ritual that I wanted no part of. 
All things being equal, I would have rather be surrounded by the buffalo. Well, Scripture reminds us that it matters who we are surrounded by. As so many of our youth return to school or head off to college this week, I can hear in my inner ear scriptures given to us at the same time in life by pastors and parents. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. And Proverbs 13.20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools suffer harm. I was never sure exactly if that meant, in my case, the entire rugby team or just a few of the fellows, but such grounding reminded me that it matters who we choose as friends. Last Sunday, Donovan mentioned Jody Folk's service. It was a remarkable testimony to a man who lived out his faith in the context of this congregation, but it was more than that. What struck me looking out from the chancel were the three rows of men just here in front of the pulpit, almost like honorary pallbearers. They were Jody's friends from the Friday morning Bible study. And at a time when we hear so much about how lonely modern people are, especially men, especially youth, that kind of friendship bears witness to the gift it can be. Friendship is a gift, as J.C. Ryle reminds us, that halves our troubles and doubles our joys. One of the reasons we encourage all of you to get connected through some small group or ministry team or host group is to help you develop friendships in faith. Westminster is a large church, and part of our job is to make it feel small by inviting you into classes or communities where you can be known and know others as you grow in faith and find joy in service. The preacher of Hebrews, in reciting all the figures from the Old Testament history, invites his hearers to grab hold of the rope and join their place in line. And the picture that comes to my mind is watching the little children in Westminster School for Young Children walking out to the playground or somewhere in the building. They're holding onto a rope with knots in it that they have their place. The links are formed, the preacher says, by faithful people, hand in hand, generation after generation, holding fast to each other and to our confession. But then the preacher shifts the metaphor. Instead of the image of a pilgrimage or unbroken chain of faith, he now takes a congregation to a sports arena and drafts them as the final runners in a great relay race of faith. The baton has been passed from Abel to Enoch to Noah to Abraham, each runner is handing off to the next. And now is the congregation's turn to run. The previous runners have now taken their seats up in the stands all surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and all are watching to see how we'll perform. One of the weekly surprises when you're the preacher is helping to pick the front cover of the bulletin. This, I never really understood, was part of my job when I entered ministry. I sort of longed sometimes for the days where we just had the old regular bulletin Uh, Or I'll say, gosh, the one we had last week was fabulous. Why can't I use that? Well, it was communion. You can't use the chalice. Okay. 
well, whatever. So usually about midweek, Chris comes and she'll bring some options and then I'll start to think. So when I was asked, I had a very specific request this week. I wanted the image of Dave Waddle coming from behind to win the 72 Olympic 800 meter race in Munich when that stadium absolutely erupted. Now there are some of you who remember that with clarity. Most of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Go home and Google it. Dave is running with this hat on, and at 500 meters in the race, he is dead last. And then he starts picking off one after another after another, and just at the end, three hundredths of a second, he beats the Soviet runner. I was 12. I was in my living room, standing, shouting as loudly as I could. Please Google it if you don't know it. It was the first time I ever thought running could be interesting. <laughs> Seriously. Well, the image, Chris told me, cost a lot of money to use, so we couldn't use it. So we settled what's on there today. So then Chris asked me, well, could you get a picture of Ben? You know, my son ran cross country and track in high school and college and dutifully I'm scrolling through my phone and not, no perfect picture was there. And then I started watching the video clips that I had and I started to chuckle. There were some great ones of him running, but they were all worthless because you could only hear me yelling at, go Ben, go! So none of that worked. Anyway, all those years of cross-country and track meets have given me so much of appreciation for that preacher's image of the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. This week brought back memories of an important time when I was surrounded. Wednesday the 10th marked the 36th anniversary of my ordination. Just 26, with shaking knees, I answered the questions for ordination, promising to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church and to serve God and God's people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love. Then I knelt in the chancel of my home church and was surrounded by the pastors and the elders that had mentored me. I felt the weight of their hands pressing down as a prayer was said, and I still feel that weight, the weight of their hopes and their expectations, the weight of their amazing witness all these years later. Looking over the bulletin from that service, I realized that only two of the Presbyterian Commission are still alive. The others are now part of that great cloud of witnesses. And so I wondered, do you often think about the cloud that surrounds you? Who is there cheering you on? Does that give you energy and motivation and endurance? Does, do, do you stop and listen to their voices, marvel and meditate on the witness they gave, the faith they shared, the grace they demonstrated as a way to model your own life of faith as that baton has been passed to you. 
One of the gifts of sabbatical was having the chance to meditate and answer some of those questions. The blog gave those of you who slogged through it a glimpse into who some of those characters are and why they're important and how their voices still guide and encourage me. While I was back in Pennsylvania, I had the chance to visit family graves for the first time in many years. I had finally arranged to have a headstone made and installed for my dad, and my friend Bill came with me to consecrate it. Dad preferred the old liturgies that carried the sound of Elizabethan English, so I broke out one of the old prayer books to use the language he loved, and I prayed, as thou hast given us this new tie to bind us to the world unseen, so grant unto us that where our treasure is, there may our hearts be also. I've always loved that image about how we're tied, we're bound, we're connected to those who've crossed over in the glory. In his poem, Our Children Coming of Age, Wendell Berry begins, In the great circle, dancing in and out of time, you move now toward your partners, answering the music suddenly audible to you that only carried you before and will carry you again. We hear the voices, but we keep our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the race. The trail has already been blazed. The path has already been set. Jesus is that lead runner. He shows us where to go as the pioneer. He also shows us how to run as perfecter of our faith. And for those who might be put off by the metaphor of race, and I heard that in the choir, not big runners back here, get that? Uh, Let me offer instead the metaphor of journey. This journey of discipleship that has best been called the long obedience in the same direction. One of the sabbatical books that became a companion has the unusual name, Three Mile an Hour God. Three miles an hour is about the pace most of us walk. And to highlight the point that God is incarnational, the author celebrates that God in Jesus walks with us at our speed, three miles an hour. I like that a lot. It's easier to keep your eyes on him at three miles an hour than it is running. As Calvin reminds us, God not only begins but conducts to the end the work of our salvation, that God's grace in us may not be useless and unprofitable. As God opens up the way, so God paves it and removes obstacles of every description and is the leader during the whole journey. In short, God continues to show grace toward us in such a manner that at length, God brings it to perfection. Friends, thanks be to God that we are surrounded all the way and that our three-mile-an-hour God shows us the way that we might run with perseverance or journey slowly this life that we've been given. Thanks be to God. Amen.